This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew. Ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What is up? I am back. Here I am with another all new edition of the podcast. Lead Singer Syndrome, a show where I, your host, as always, Shane Told, speak to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional touring rock and roll band. And does it get any more fucking rock and roll than Clutch? Oh yeah. I have been trying to do this one for better part of a year now. I have Neil Fallon of Clutch on the program This is a great one. This is a great one. A guy that's been doing it a long time. Clutch has just been seemingly around forever. Just celebrating 20 years since not their first record, their third record. So that goes to show you what a staple Clutch has been in the rock community for a very long time. Before we get into that, thank you. Thank you for just listening to this. Thank you for being here, for you know going and downloading the episode and... There's all these things you need to do. You got to open the app and click the link and wait for it to download and uh, put in your headphones. I know there's all these steps. So I appreciate you being here. And I really appreciate all the members of the All Access Club. Big shout out to all my sinners worldwide. You know who you are. I know who you are. If you want to become a sinner, and what that means is that you are pledging your soul to me. No, it does not mean that at all. It means you are contributing every month to helping me keep the show going, keep the show growing, keeping the lights on here. There are costs associated with the show, and it really does go a long way. So check out this link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access for as little as $6 a month. It gets you in. You get access to a bunch of bonus episodes because let's face it, one episode a week, might not be enough for some people. You get access to merchandise, access to Q&A sessions with me, and you get to be a part of the great Sinner community. We have almost 300 members and we're on there chatting all day about everything. Music, life, relationships, sports, movies, TV, whatever you want. It is a great community and I am proud that I've put it together. So a lot of love goes out 
to all the members of the All Access Club, thank you so much. I also want to thank all the fans of the show that I met on this most recent trip to Europe with my band Silverstein. I love that. I just People come up to me, they say, dude, I love your podcast, and we chat for a couple minutes. It's always so nice to hear from you guys. Of course, if you want to get in touch with me, it's very easy. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read all my emails. I'm not great at getting back to you, but I, I'm, I think I'm getting better. I'm improving. I'm making a, a conscious effort. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter. It's at LeadSingerSyn, S-Y-N. We're on Instagram. And of course, Facebook. Get on Facebook. We have an, a revamped page. Shout out to Neil, Julia, and Melissa for working on that for me because I am like so Facebook illiterate. I, that, that app is just such a clusterfuck. I just never know what's going on on there. So without them, it would really be a mess, but it's actually pretty, pretty awesome. So go on Facebook and make sure you like the Lead Singer Syndrome Facebook page, and the hate line. Maybe you're a big Clutch fan, and I didn't do a very good job in this interview. Maybe you're like, why did you have this amazing punk band called Darko on last week? Nobody's heard of the band. Maybe you're mad at me. Maybe you think I could do a better job. Well, you know what? Hit me up, 657-666-H-A-T-E. You can leave me a message of hate. And I do roll out clips from time to time so you could be on the show. So let it rip. Don't hold back. The viler, the better. Is that a word? Viler? More vile? The more vile you are, the better. 657-666-HATE. Australians, I am coming for you next. Silverstein is going on tour with Comeback Kid, some of our best friends, and one of my favorite Canadian bands. Make sure you got tickets for that tour. It's coming up real soon. Brisbane, Newcastle, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide. We're also going to New Zealand. New Zealanders, Kiwis. Get tickets now. Check it out. I don't have a link for you, but Google it. It'll pop right up. I can't wait for Australia. I love it. One of my favorite places. So Aussies and Kiwis, we will see you there. Shout out to our sponsor, rockabilia.com. The best merch website in the business. Check it out. I know you'll love band merch. Who doesn't? They got over half a million items on there, all licensed from the bands. And of course, we have a promo code. Save 15% off. PC Jabberjaw. Type that in. Get yourself a hoodie, a t-shirt, windbreaker. It's raining. Uh, it's raining everywhere. Get yourself something nice at rockabilia.com. All right, let's jump in to this week's episode and my conversation with Neil Fallon of Clutch. Oh, with the mustache and a supernova, tossed off the cliffs of Dover, washed up on a faraway shore in the arms of the daughter of the buffalo. Mama said he was a chosen one, Ray said he was a other one. Howdy, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic, man. How are you? I can't complain. Good. Here we go. So, you ready to do this? Yes, sir. Let's jump in, man. Uh, I'm here with Neil Fallon of the Almighty Clutch, uh, who are back with, is it number 13? Is that how many records? That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> At this point, yeah. I'm not counting, but yeah, I think the last one was 12, so this would make it 13. Lucky number 13. I know for this record, you know, you've had a lot of emphasis, you know, talking about the new record and stuff on working with a different producer. 
which uh, I know you were working with Machine uh, for quite a couple, like the last few records, and now kind of a big change working with uh, sort of a country guy. Talk about him. Well, um, that's correct. We, Machine has done three records with us: Blast Tyrant, and then um, Earth Rocker and Psychic Warfare. And Vance Powell's name came up from JP, who was uh, his uh, brother-in-law is a big Chris Stapleton fan, and he okay. was kind of taken aback by the production value of country music. And I'm sure you know this too. It's like the genre of the music is neither here nor there. When some when a producer does good production, it kind of shines through, right? And um, I think, and then I think JP, as he tells it, he was listening to Spotify in a rack and tours uh no not them uh dead weather song came on he was uh astounded by the production of that and he went on wikipedia to find out who did it and lo and behold it was vance powell again right so we called him up and vance is is like us he comes from a live background you know he didn't go to audio school and straight into the studio you know he pounded it out miles and miles on the road sure uh, doing front of house sound for tanya tucker and he does um he does hard rock too he's worked with red fang and yep. uh, his whole philosophy is capturing the band's live essence which i think he really did uh with a plum on this go around totally well i mean 13 records and i mean you're you're known for being a live band i mean you'd think that that would have been the goal the whole time. Yeah, it did seem in, in when you put it that way, it's yeah, it's kind of a, <laughs> a yeah, duh moment. Right. Um, there has been, you know, circumstances or I can see how a band can paint themselves into a corner very easily in the studio. Cause you can do all sorts of, um, you know, smoke and mirrors in the studio. Right. Uh, but I think it's much better to be honest. And then, you know, we we worked these songs on stage first before we even went into the studio, and that's usually the best litmus test. Totally, songs songs that are written in the studio may sound great, and then you go bring them to the stage, and it just it just doesn't have that mojo. No, that's, that's the position we want to be in. Yeah, that must be interesting. You know, like a lot of times bands that do that 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 try you know try out their new material, you know, quote unquote. Those are usually bands on maybe their second record, third record, where they're kind of out of songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're touring on your first record, it's like all you're touring on is, is you know, one record and you only have 12 mm-hmm. songs and three of them you don't really like playing. But for a band like you guys to, to test new material, were, did you find your fans were responsive to that? Or was it like, all right, time to take a piss and get a beer? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, no, I think... Uh Clutch fans are very responsive to that, and they're eager for that. Right. Uh, there's a. We're very fortunate that our fans are really, you know, have a great appetite for change and aren't asking us to just be a one trick pony. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the the biggest burdens a band, particularly a young band, can have is having a hit. Yeah. It, it can destroy a band very easily uh, because one. You get a taste of something that's not going to last. It's very transient. And yeah. people are are fans of a song as opposed to fans of the four or five men or women that are on stage working together. 
that's a you can have much more longevity if people are fans of the band as opposed to the feel good hit of the summer. Isn't that funny? And you're so right. And, and um, and to to put this back on me and my band, we've been to, been together for 18 years. You know, it's the same thing. We've had some songs that have done okay, and and sure, like there's a little bit of radio play here and there, but far from anything you'd call a hit. And it yeah. really can be the kiss of death for so many bands. Yeah, it's, it can suck the joy right out of it. I mean, if <laughs> yeah. uh, you get up on stage, I love it. I love every minute of it. I have the best job in the world. Uh, even, you know, a song, I guess the closest thing to that that we have would be Electric Worry. Uh, but I still love playing that song. I, if that's the hardest thing I have to do all day, it's still a great day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you guys are known for changing your set list up uh, all the time. And I think that that's a great move for a band, you know, that's been around, that has a lot of records, has a fan, diehard fan base. Do you, do you do that for your fans or do you do that for yourself? We do it for ourselves. You know, I think, and if we were to kind of engineer it, it would be kind of disingenuous and the fans would see right through it. Um, right. And also it keeps it interesting. Uh, I see life is, you know, the, one of the goals is to learn and try new things and to challenge oneself. Uh, but also, even though there's change, it's still the same four dudes. Yeah. So there's, there's that common language that'll always be there. It's not like a personnel change, uh, or anything remotely like that. I think looking towards fans, of course, we want them to dig whatever we're doing that's new, but at the same time, you can't use the applause meter as <laughs> a gauge what's good. I remember very distinctly, we did a brand new song, and about 30, 60 seconds into it, all these hardcore kids were turning their backs and giving us the finger and saying, what, what, what the hell is this? And the name of that song was Space Grass. <laughs> so... If, you know, if we listened to them, then it would have been a terrible decision. And on a side note, there's a line in that song where it says, don't worry, it's coming. That actually just started out as me telling these hardcore kids, don't worry, you're going to have your chance to mosh in a second. Don't panic. <laughs> so that was written like on stage, kind of like you, you, yeah, it, 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 yeah, was, it evolved it into was, that. Yeah, it was ad libbed. <laughs> And then we were on tour, so I started saying it every night, and then it just kind of became part of the song, you know, when there's no drum beat. Right. And some, you know, 19-year-old kid wants to get silly, it's, it can be very awkward for them, and we got a real kick out of it. <laughs> That's funny. That's Yeah, it's, it's funny, though, you guys have been doing this testing new material stuff for years, and sounds like with, you know, uh, mediocre success, uh, and you're still doing it. So I guess it does still work it's magic sometimes right i guess right i mean the litmus test as you say you, that's the whole point is yeah. to, to create something new and i think human human beings generally are always skeptical of something that they don't know usually people that are listening to a, a song are just listening to it they don't have the chance to dance to it yet you got to Got to do a little bit of hand-holding. That's right. That's right. Well, I uh, was just looking at, you know, some notes here, and I realized that 20 years ago, the Elephant Riders came out. 20, was it today or yesterday? I, it dawned on me Friday night that it was the 20th anniversary. That's a trip, huh? 
Yeah, I, I looked at the date and I knew it was April 14th because we worked that number into some of the album art and merchandise that right. we were selling at the time. Right. So I couldn't tell you any other release dates of our records, but I know that one. Yeah, that's funny. That does happen sometimes. Uh, it'll be like a certain day and you'll be like, is it like someone's birthday I forgot? Or no, no, no. This record came out on that day and I remember that number just being rammed home. We had to shove it down everybody's throats. <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny. I mean, looking back now, 20 years, uh, how much things have changed, how much things have stayed the same, maybe. Uh, talk to me about how that just that feels looking back on, on a record like that, which was your, I guess, your third record. Well, I think if you're talking about the kind of the music industry in general or, or what have you, uh, music, I don't think, was ever intended to be an industry. Music is hundreds of thousands of years old and it was always free. Right. And the decades of making money of it were great for a lot of people. They made some serious cash. Uh, but now it's sort of kind of defaulting to its original mode. Uh, and it was a windfall for us. I mean, we were on major labels in the nineties Yeah, and it was great. They gave us tour support. We were able to go open, you know, and tour with Slayer and Iron Maiden or Sepultura, what have you. But, you know, not a lot of people knew about the band. And then suddenly people started sharing music online. And I usually use this as an example. We were told for years, never bother going to Greece. We haven't sold any records in Greece. Why would you go there? And then some promoter finally convinced us to come to Greece. And not only was it our biggest headlining show in Europe that we had ever done, and probably still to this date is the biggest, but the folks in the audience knew the words to every song, whether it be a song written the year prior or 15 years prior. Right. So it kicked down a, a lot of doors for us. And even though there's that change in technology and the delivery of the music, when you break it down to brass tacks, the music is, it never changed. You know, there's the compulsion to create music or to listen to music is ancient. And that's no matter what the current technology is, that'll always be the same, at least in, in my opinion. No, I love that. And that's very well thought out, a very well thought out point. And, and you know, because you're talking about both just the history of it and, and just the love that people have for music, but you're also talking dollars and cents. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to make more money selling a few thousand copies of records in Greece? Or are you going to make more money going there and playing a sold out show to thousands of people selling merchandise and then being able to go back every couple of years? I mean, it's it's... You know, there's there's two sides of it, and and for for Clutch, it seems like that you know Napster or whatever you're alluding to, or all that that shit, LimeWire, that opened all these doors for your career, way more than any label could have in any of these territories. Yeah, I think the the internet is the world's most effective A and R representative. Do <laughs> people? It, at that point, they make their own choices. It used to be these people were tastemakers, and they decided who the general public was going to get exposed to Yeah, on radio. And it was very, I can't, I, and I look at, you know, I look on Spotify, and there's so many artists that I never heard of that came and went, you know, whether it be in the 1930s or uh, 1980s. 
all because they just whatever didn't happen happened for them. And I feel as I have a lot of makeup homework to do to find out who these artists were. Right. There's just an, it's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of A and R guys and and all that stuff, um, you've created your own label, which you've been on now for several records, Weathermaker. Um, which is which is interesting for you guys, a band that constantly referred to as stoners, um, that you were able to figure that out. And you know what I mean? It, it's funny because you're so savvy, apparently, with this music industry stuff, and you've created your own label, which has been very successful for you guys. Well, I, I'll, I'll say this about stoner rock and then talk about weather music, maker music. All the... I would almost be willing to bet my life on it that every single band that is lumped into the stoner rock category really hates being lumped into the stoner rock category. Oh, I have no doubt in my mind. I was, yeah, I was saying it tongue in cheek. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's a stupid moniker, um, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so we can acknowledge and move on, but business wise, that was a big game changer for us. It's still a learning experience. We're not businessmen, you know, by training. Uh, right. Fortunate, fortunately, we have uh, some good people working with us, primarily our, our manager, Jack Flanagan, and our label manager, Stefan Koster, who do all the grunt work. We do decisions. You know, we'll do sit in the back of a uh, in a dressing room and decide, you know, whether we want to do A, B, or C. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it, it it's more cost effective because we cut out a, a, a ton of middlemen sure. and can sell it directly to the fans. I mean, the, the notion that you got to sell platinum records to be successful is bullshit. It's the success. All I think we look at it is just, we can wake up in the morning and know that our only job is to either perform rock and roll music or write rock and roll music. That's all we need. And Weathermaker. Uh, it helps facilitate that totally but you guys have had success on Weathermaker too I mean your last record was did 26,000 the first week number 11 on the billboard which is probably as good maybe better than that record would have performed maybe even on a major label isn't oh, that, isn't I, that I amazing a, I don't have any doubt of, about that and it is amazing that we were able to to chart like that uh, and that's a kudos to the fans Right. You know, for for buying that record at that at the ultimately that's who's responsible for that even you know despite any of our efforts or failings you know it started at weathermaker started it, i'll just give you the nutshell version of it we were signed to a label called drt and it was one of those labels there was a brief period of time where labels were kind of selling this what was called a 50 50 deal yeah after after net everything was going to be split 50 50 between them and us and their other artists, uh, but it ended up being a zero zero deal. <laughs> they, it, no one, no one got paid anything. We took them to court along with Gore, and they couldn't pay us what was owed us. So the judge awarded the three masters back into our possession. So suddenly we had a catalog, and we asked ourselves, "Do we want to play this game again by giving away these masters?" in hopes that, you know, we can make some profit or do we kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and do it ourselves and thank goodness that's what we chose to do. Right. Right. So you figured it out from your catalog, putting it up on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, and just seeing that money trickle in slowly. 
and the light bulb kind of goes off. Hey, maybe we could just do this ourselves. Yeah, it's um, it's not scientific. I mean, people like to listen to music, and the more outlets you can give it to them, the better. Right. No, absolutely. Um, is there a fear, though, doing this yourself and just having basically your manager and, and a label manager doing this, that you're not going to have the, the kind of exposure you need to get new fans? Is there a fear there? If for get the exposure for what other bands or, or no for for or, new fans for you know new people finding out about Clutch because you know you have your core fan base but let's be honest they're not getting any younger is there a fear that you know you're not going to be able to you know move on to the next generation and have people find out about both your new music and your catalog is there yeah, a fear um, I don't think so I think um, we see it the all the, the true test of that is our shows. And looking out into the audience and seeing what these people look like. And when I say that, I mean their age. Right. <laughs> and I see, I see people uh, that have been seeing us for 25 years that are now bringing their kids. I also see groups of kids that could, uh, are young enough that I could be their parent. And sure. that's, you know, it's shocking <laughs> to admit that, but that's just, that's just the way it is. And that's a good thing. And I see new, when we see new faces in the audience, I, we know all's right with the world. That's right. Well, it's it, the clutch machine keeps churning. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's, it's a beautiful it's thing. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more with Neil from Clutch. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, listen up. I gotta talk about something, and it's not always the most comfortable conversation. Sexual performance issues are more common than you think. Over 25% of new ED cases are from guys under 40. 40% of men under 40 struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection. So many guys don't do anything or they turn to weird solutions. Why would you do that when you can turn to medicine and real science? The solution? 4hims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness just for men. Thanks to science, erectile dysfunction can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat ED. We're talking about well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you combat ED scientifically. No snake oil pills, gas station counter supplements. These are real prescription solutions. One ED pill, you've heard the name. It starts with a V. It just came off the patent list December 11th. It's a game-changer. And through for hims, there's no waiting room, no awkward doctor visits, no line. You save hours by using forhims.com. It is so easy. Answer a few quick questions, chat with the doctor for a confidential review, and the products are shipped directly to your door. Severe ED isn't just for old rich guys hanging out in bathtubs. It affects men in their 30s and 40s. Being your best means performing your best. It's erectile without the dysfunction. Hard made easy. Say hello to your little friend. 
Try Hymns for a month today for just $5. We'll get you started for 5 bucks while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost you hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 slash L-S-S-E-D. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash L-S-S-E-D. Again, 4 slash L-S-S-E-D. Another thing that's that's constantly talked about with you guys, and it is it is pretty miraculous, and it's worth bringing up, even though I'm sure everyone and every interview asks you about it, is the fact that you guys have not had any member changes in your entire whatever it is, 27 year history. Um, what's the secret there? I think we're all three of oh, excuse me, all four of us. Are <laughs> you well forgot aware. a guy. Yeah, <laughs> there's been a sorry. Someone's been kicked out of the band in the last. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't counting myself. Um, we're well aware that this the best bands are always the sum is greater than the parts. You, you could think of countless examples yeah. of incredible bands and their members go off to do solo work and it's garbage, um, or it just doesn't have that that magic. And hopefully, we're one of those bands um, that the four of us, the, the sum is greater than the parts. And when you work with somebody that long, there's a level of communication that's almost psychic. I mean, I can hear John Paul do a, a fill one way or the other, and I, I'll change what I'm doing on stage, anticipating what he's going to do. And the only way you can do that is if you jam for that long. Right. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's just, we knew each other in high school and I guess it was just dumb luck that the, the four things that were needed to make this thing operate the way it is just fell into our laps. Absolutely. Well, is, is it, how close are you guys as people when you're not on tour, when you're not on the road? Cause I, I feel like a lot of bands, they, they, they're almost too close of friends. Like they, they, everybody leaves tour and they go home and then they end up at the same bar that night, you know, the morning that they get home from tour. Is, is, are you guys really close like that? Or you guys give each other some space when you're, when you're apart? We give each other a lot of, elbow room i mean we all got families yeah that when we when we get off tour that's everybody's number one priority we st- you know we get together once or twice a week at our warehouse where our, our studio is and you know, right now we're just learning some cover songs for shits and giggles no oh, cool. other reason um just one to keep our chops up while we're not touring and two because it's i think beneficial to learn how other people write and perform songs but, you know, on Friday night, everybody does their own thing. I mean, as you know, touring, you know, can be like a pressure cooker and you got to let off that steam. Sure. Absolutely. What covers are you working on? If you can tell me. Uh, let's see. We did uh, Precious and Grace by ZZ Top. Uh, we did uh, um, Wicked Messenger, the Dylan, Bob Dylan song, but as was performed by The Faces, sort of their take on that. Oh, and, okay, yeah. Uh, evil by cactus uh so try to wrap our heads around the way other people write music yeah no that's 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 interesting uh, you know you don't think of a band uh, uh being around as long as you guys is going to revert back to covers which is what most people do the first time they pick up an instrument so it's kind of funny it's like going back full circle and uh, rediscovering yourself is that is there a, like it seems like you're intellectually thinking about this it's not just like hey we're gonna blow off some steam and play some covers. So it's, it's yeah. I mean, I guess the one it's fun to to 
play music, so it's 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 not digging ditches, but we do think about those things. And uh, I, uh, writing our first record, I never even thought about composition. When you're that young, you just kind of go on impulse, right? And as years have gone by, you know, I think about composition just because it's in front of me. And, uh, but at the same time, I don't want to overanalyze something because when you get too academic with music, it can make it not fun. Uh, it's, it's well, it can still, make it sound all the same too. You know, if, if, if yeah. all you're doing is, is classic song structure, every step of the road, then it, it, you know what I mean? It, it can, it can, you do lose some of that fire that you had as a young band. Yeah. Speaking of that one song, if it, particular a wicked messenger listening to the performance and the composition it's at least apparent to me that the faces rolled up into the studio on on drugs or just yeah. exhausted and went in there tracked it and left it's it's that spontaneous and weird there's off notes um but those are what that's what makes it cool right the imperfections perfection is boring i think perfection is death and I'd I'd rather listen Hooker make a mistake on his guitar than all the blazing speed metal arpeggios in the world combined. I know, right? Isn't that amazing? And it's like the one thing I always think about is I'm sure you're you're familiar with Nirvana and their MTV Unplugged special, and uh, mm-hmm. they do a cover of of um, David Bowie "Man Who Sold the World." Mm-hmm. And there's a part and he does the guitar solo, and you can tell like they probably only rehearsed it a couple times. And he goes to to play the guitar solo and he just, it's the wrong note. Like there's just not, it's not even close. And then he adjusts and he misses it again. And then he finally hits the note. And I always loved that. I loved that as a kid, you know, when I was, that came out when I was like, you know, 13 years old. I love that when that came out and I still love that today. And it really just speaks to the realness of music and how people want something that is honest and real. You're absolutely right. It's it's a reminder of the humanity of, of right. the, the artist. Uh, we've kind of created this mythos around on musicians that they're godlike and yeah. immortal, and they live in, in some cloud city of you know the imagination. But everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time, and those reminders. I, it's not like uh, Schadenfreude, or you're reveling in someone fucking up it's actually wow that's i think it reminds us of ourselves like everybody makes mistakes even our heroes no totally and it's interesting too because this goes right back to what you know the beginning of our conversation was about your new record and trying to take it from off the floor you know and and record it as a band in a room with a producer that knows how to record a band like that um were there mistakes that you kept on this new album? Um, I mean, maybe not mistakes, were, but something that, you know, oh, maybe that's like not what we intended, but but it's cool, you know? I will, I'll say this. When we recorded the, song, the songs, we were really well rehearsed. We okay. had every opportunity to know exactly what we were, everybody's specific job was. Uh, and that, that makes recording much easier because you're not trying to remember lyrics or remember a guitar change here and there. Uh, the act, there is an example of a mistake that turned into a part. There's a song called uh, 
sonic counselor that has a very fast uh, riff in it that repeats over and over again. It's sort of a bridge in the song. And we tracked it in our studio, and Tim missed his picking on one note. Okay. And it sounded like a little tiny rest. And we liked it. John Paul pointed it out and said, okay, well, let's learn how to play it like that, where now we're intentionally dropping this note. <laughs> so those kind of happy accidents are can be great. It reminds me of, you know, my, when my son was you know, three or four years old, there was a book that we used to read for him called Beautiful Oops. And it's all about turning mistakes into their own unique works of art. And this is a beautiful oops for you know, old men. <laughs> I love it. Beautiful oops. That's great. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, t- we're talking about all these cover songs. Uh, and, and, you know, Clutch has such a unique sound. And you're talking about bands from Cactus to the Faces. Uh, what what are some of your influences that, that kind of still stick with you when you're writing a record now, you know, in, into your, you know, 40s? Um, I see. Like, I know you. Know, John Paul learned how to play drums listening to Bill Ward. Yeah, he, he, he just play along to Sabbath songs. So when you, when any artist is that focused on an individual in their formative years, that will always be an influence. And I think, speaking in broader terms, Black Sabbath were take you know they were taking American blues, electrifying it, and putting a huge swing on everything. And I think that's a big part of our sound is the swing. Yeah, we don't we don't, we don't play very straight. And uh, also growing up, you know, in our early years, I didn't know. I never had an idea of what my voice was supposed to sound like. It was just throwing shit over the fence to see where it landed. <laughs> and I couldn't really hold the note. So I kind of defaulted to a much more rhythmical style of singing. And I was a huge Chuck D fan, uh, a huge wow. fan of Eric, Eric B and Rakim. And you know, you listen to a clutch song, you may not say, Oh, well, that's obvious, but that's in there too. Yeah. Uh, I think anything you listen to creeps in somehow. Do you find that there's been any bands, you know, since you guys started that have really like, you've took notice and been like, Oh, this is an influence of mine now because you're right about the formative year thing. And, and for me, it's the same thing. The bands that there's kind of a period of, of time in my life, like maybe between when I was 16 and 20 years old, and that's kind of where all my influences seem to stem from. But has there been anybody that's kind of stepped in and you're like, Oh man, this record is just amazing. And it's sort of, you know, influenced some clutch records, whether it's new stuff or a few albums ago. I'll, you can I'll, answer I'll tell no. you this. <laughs> no, I, I don't think there was ever, you know, a, an intentional trying to sound like another band, but when we heard something that was just so cool, we realized that that, that was something to strive for, at least in our own manner. I can tell you when I first heard Caius's sky Valley, I couldn't pick my job off the floor. Right. That 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 album got such a workout in our van, driving across country, and I have these blurry memories of you know deadheading it late at night, four o'clock in the morning, driving through Podunk, USA, listening <laughs> to Sky Valley over and over and over again, and that was a 
that was a big that was kind of like around the self-titled era for us and they were doing a brand of rock and roll that really wasn't hip you know in the general terms but now it's a classic and and people just can't there's a whole cottage industry in europe of desert rock these bands that for all intents and purposes the whole thing is just about Caius's Sky Valley, and it's been going on for decades. That's a testament for how awesome that album was. Right. Well, in, in some ways, and I, I know I don't want you to compare yourself to that, you know, amazing record, but you guys have those classic records too, though, and you guys have almost your own group of fans that you know you can pile up some other bands below you guys, but you're at the top of this genre that you've almost created at this point. Well, uh, thank you for saying that. Um, even though that may be the case, I st- at least speaking for myself, I still feel like we're the new kids on the block, not the band. I'm just using that as the you know, idiomatic <laughs> yes, phrase. Yes. I still feel like we got something to prove. Like we want to, we're, we're the band that people haven't heard of yet. And I want them to hear about the band. I know that may not be the case for Clutch fans, but that's some kind of psychological baggage from the early nineties that I'll probably have to carry to my grave. Uh, yeah, probably. But it's, but it's a good, I think it's a good thing when, when artists start resting on their laurels, uh, that, that creates laziness and laziness it, is no fun at all. It, there, there's just nothing that good comes out of it. Do you think some of that stems from all those tours you did and you brought up touring with like a bunch of, you know, metal bands, but you also toured with, uh, uh, like motorhead and, you know, you toured with bands that sort of made sense, but you never really toured with anybody that really, really made sense. Like you were always kind of the odd band out on any tour you did. Yeah, the, we've we tried every iteration under the sun. We were always the odd band out, but I think that's because of the nature of our music. There yeah. wasn't a particular band that made perfect sense. And we wear that as a badge of honor now. Sure. Uh, But getting up on stage when you're opening up for Slayer or Sepultura and you're, that's a, uh, that's a life changing experience doing that every night. And when you come out of it, you you get pretty thick skin. Yeah. Uh, And that's a good thing. Uh, Being able to, charge through your music with just as much passion while you're looking at a sea of middle fingers is a, is an important <laughs> skill set to develop. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Oh man. Uh that's funny. Uh so I don't want to take up too much more of your time man. I appreciate you doing this. Um no problem. What what can fans expect from this new record? Is it is it similar to um Psychic Warfare? Is it is it a big departure? Is it a natural progression? Uh, you know, that was obviously a very successful record for you guys. It it, it was a very successful record. We didn't go into recording Psychic Warfare thinking we need to make a successful record. We just made the record like we did all our other records, and it just happened to work out that way. Sure. So we didn't go into this time around thinking, oh, how do we top this? I think that's a that's a dangerous uh, way of of writing is trying mm-hmm. to outdo oneself. You have to just follow your gut. And for whatever reason, and I don't really have any kind of way to justify this or prove this, but this record reminds me of the Elephant Riders in some way. It reminds me of Jam Room in some way. It's uh, 
it's kind of peculiar in certain regards and we didn't i think we because we were not thinking oh we need to top psychic warfare that kind of gave us the freedom and liberated us to just do what came naturally and not overthink it in the least and, and you know you say you don't want to try you're not trying to top it or whatever but in a way you are trying to make some changes you know like i said working with machine on those records uh great sounding records and your last one especially you're moving to a producer where you're in nashville um you know in a different element um you know i i watched the the video you posted of his studio looks like absolutely crazy like so, all these amazing you know mic preamps and all this stuff um I mean, that's an obviously a conscious decision to do that. So, so you know, what was I guess, what was the reason you know for that? I mean, obviously you were comfortable with machine. Yeah, and I think uh, that's half the battle in any studio is, is being comfortable. Yeah, and but at the same time, you don't want to spend too much time in your comfort zone. You want to because you can atrophy and get and get too. Uh, reliant on things that you've already pro- proven that work and it's important to take a chance take a chance on a new producer in a new place that you don't know exactly how how they work and i know exactly how machine tracks vocals and right i was very con- very concerned before going in with vance how does he this guy do this i have no idea but that that fear and that trepidation that's a good thing uh because then you're thinking about it uh, much more than you would otherwise. So I think there's there's that to it, and also the unknown. You don't know what it is until you, you it's done, and that's I think with a great impulse of anything creative is trying to create something that you don't know yet. And when it's done, it's sort of that aha moment, like wow, okay, this is what it is. There's there's great satisfaction in that. Totally. How do you track vocals? I mean, that's that's obviously something we don't really talk about on the show very often. But you know, some people like to do it line by line. They like to be one on one with the producer in the studio with no one else around. Um, some bands insist the whole band is there. Uh, what's your approach? Well, Vance is pretty much the exact opposite as Machine. Machine, he he'll punch a syllable. Yeah, you can you can do one line. 16 times and then move on to the next one. Vance, he wants the whole take. And he, like the whole he doesn't song? even Yeah, from front to end. Wow. And that that spooked me because I hadn't done it like that in a long time. But after doing it, you know, for a couple of days, it I realized because of that it was it wasn't so anal retentive. It was, I was loosening up and then we'll do like, you know, six, seven, eight passes. He'll mark the sweet spots, comp that together. And then if we want to double a chorus, then I'll just hit the chorus. But it was the easiest vocal tracking I've ever done. Right. I, I, never, I never felt like I was doing any work at the end of the day. I was like, I didn't get anything done. Interesting, yeah. Because it's, it's almost like it's, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And he's also the kind of guy, it's like, if a, if a, if a note is a little pitchy, that's okay. You know, it's, it's that, that's what gives it the, the humanity. Right. Wow. Uh, I mean, but aren't you kind of out of the gas by, by the end of the song? Like the way you sing, like, aren't there times when it's like, okay, I got to do this chorus one last time. I'm just, I've been singing for three minutes straight, you know? 
Did, doesn't that happen? Well, you know, it's it. Sure, you know, I'll have to go take take a walk. But we we're really only doing like one song a day. I would go in and at one o'clock in the afternoon, I would track and usually be done by four o'clock with that song. And then Tim would come in and track guitars, and I would take off. You know, this is all overdub. You know, after yeah. we had done yep. all the the basics, and I had tracked rough. You know, I was in the room tracking with the the rough tracks as well so these guys could have a point of reference and i'll say this i've never taken a single vocal lesson uh but i did last week for the first time in in 27 years wow yeah and uh it's not so much as a bid to change the way i sing i just want to be able to do it for another 25 years and learn how not to blow out my voice which does happen Uh, yeah so hopefully knock on wood that'll uh prevent that from happening in the future because i want the last show of a tour to be just as good as the first one yeah so who did you go and see and what did you take take away from it well uh the guy's name is pete strobel and he just relocated from la to baltimore which isn't too far from me yeah and he uh, i know he's worked with uh, van halen and a bunch of other folks and that's what he does professionally and most of these guys and, and these men and women that do this live in Los Angeles and New York. Yeah. There's not, there's not a lot in, in Baltimore. And mm-hmm. thankfully this guy's one of the world's best. And I think he just moved to Baltimore cause he liked, he and his girlfriend liked the house there. And, uh, I hope I'm sure it works out. He's, he's a great guy and it's a little awkward for me, you know, doing, uh, scales, acapella, right. you know, but, uh, if that's if that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do. But you must do some warm ups, like generally, or do you just not really know what you're doing in terms of that stuff? Well, I never did. You know, in the band's early years, screaming is easy, uh, but it's also kind of like a dead end. I mean, once you start screaming, you got nowhere else to go. Yeah. And then later on into the band's career, I started thinking about things like melody and pitch and what have you. Uh, so now I do some warm ups, but there's really no rhyme or reason to them. It's just a bunch of crap I found on the internet. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I'm probably, probably not doing anything other than psychologically, you know, warming myself up. So that's a lot. What Pete is teaching me is about how to do real warm ups, 20 minutes a day, regardless if you're on tour or not. Yeah. And that'll give you your, your range and the, your vocal cords, the elasticity to do 90 minutes a night for a month straight. That's very interesting. Well, good for you for taking that, that step. I mean, a lot of people at your point in in their careers and stuff would just say, well, I've been doing it this long, you know, fuck it. But, uh, you care. So that's great. I do. It's, you know, I, I, I feel very fortunate that I was given this position in life to have fun uh, do it in my job is is doesn't feel like a job so i got to treat it with some reverence and respect and i think that's probably step one of that is just taking care of it absolutely man well good for you uh so you guys what do you guys got, have coming up so the record's coming up this fall do you have a title for it yet the name of the record is book of bad decisions book of bad decisions okay well uh hopefully it wasn't a bad decision working with this new producer huh 
No, it's, it's not a commentary on our production choices. <laughs> uh, and a bunch of tour dates um, coming up here. I see Las Vegas, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Athens, Georgia, a bunch of kind of B-market shows. And then I guess you guys are going to be doing a main um, tour in the fall around the record. Is that the plan? Yeah, that's uh, we're uh, kind of putting that together now. We're going to go to Europe after that in December. We'll probably do our Christmas run, and before you know it, it'll be a year from now. Uh, I know, right? So we don't we don't have a lot of things going on this summer, so I'm really just enjoying domestic tranquility. It's pretty great. There you go. Well, that sounds awesome, man. Uh, well, hey, uh, anything else to add? Anything else we didn't get to you want to tell the people? Um, no, just uh, thanks for the, the interview, and uh, I appreciate it, and to all those folks that I've supported the band over the years. Thank you. And for people that are just finding out about the band, come see us perform at a show because that's what it's all about. All right. Well, for those people, I always play music at the end of the uh, podcast. Do you have a song that you uh, want to play for the people? A clutch a clutch classic or a newer song? Um, let's play uh, A Quick Death in Texas. I'm teaching my son how to play that on guitar, so I got that one on. Awesome. How old's your son? Uh, he'll be eight in May. Wow. Oh, and he's already playing that stuff. Good for him. Good for him. He's better than I ever was. There you go. Damn it. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, thank you, Neil, so much, man, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. See you around. You too. Take it easy. All right, man. Thank you. Get it. My nasty
So there is my talk with Neil Fallon and a pretty ripping clutch tune. Sounds like they're not slowing down anytime soon. I'm very excited to hear their brand new record. And if you ever get the chance to check them out live, they are not to be missed. Thanks to Neil for taking the time. Next week, I will be back with an all-new episode of the show. Make sure you're subscribed. Hit the subscribe button. And of course, if you like the show, tell a friend. Tell a loved one. Let's keep this thing spreading. If you want to support the show, check out the All Access Club. Again, the link for that is leadsingersyndrome.com slash allaccess. And you got my email address, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. All right, that's a loud-ass airplane, so I guess I should go. See you next week. Peace and love.